This ripple won't fade. It'll grow and grow until it's a tidal wave. Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Welcome back, everybody, here to talk Season 3 wrap-up. It's been a week to the day of the uh, climactic Season 3 two-parter. Uh, finale and uh, hopefully it's had a chance to uh, kind of settle in to digest it and uh, we're here to chew it over and uh, talk a little news yeah yeah first up definitely want to spend some time discussing uh, what I am sure any rabid Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan has already heard that the show will be moving to the 10 o'clock hour on Tuesdays next season Yes, uh, a move we've thrown out there before. I think a move long in the offing and with this show, Matt, ostensibly headed into a potential final season, um, you know, 88 episodes, four seasons, nice round number in 2016, 17 syndication terms as they go. Um, it It's time to take a gamble with this, given that they had their renewal uh toward the you know latter third mid third of the season um and knew where they could be a lot of people initially uh especially on twitter had the take uh you know they've condemned the show a lot of people have the savvy to know that this that this uh has been a troublesome time slot for abc tuesdays at 10 uh, indeed, in the last two, three, four years, uh, it's been the graveyard of the schedule. That said, the new uh, the new uh, head of ABC has said that 10 p.m. across the board is a is a new priority. It is it, a place where they want to improve on all nights. And a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's just said that to whatever, and they're going to cancel the show anyway. Pete, let me let me share the 10 o'clock lineup for ABC. Monday's 10 o'clock conviction with Haley Atwell and the sister of the network. Tuesday's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Wednesday, designated survivor with Kiefer Sutherland. Thursday, how to get away with murder. Friday, 2020 remains. Um, and then Sunday's at 10, Quantico. That is a heck of a network lineup. They're all not necessarily shows I watch or am inclined to watch. But if I was running the network, that is a heck of a slate. And to have ABC with its small but steady audience Tuesdays at 10 means you don't need to worry about that being a black hole for something else. And if something else is going to fail, let the bear eat that show in another time slot and go, good old Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It came through for us when we needed it. I'm particularly a fan of the show 2020 Remains. It's not as good as the original 2020. It's (laughs) kind of picked over. Um, But yeah. But you speak the truth, Matt. And I think, you know, the the tag scene that we get at the end of this third season really kind of speaks to the idea of reinvention. And in that 10 o'clock time slot, there's some directions they can go that they couldn't obviously go before. People are going to have to vote with their views. You want to keep this show going? We now have the Agent Carter Colliery, which is watch the show live, 
get your friends to do it or it will be canceled. You want to keep this ride going? Get people on it. And as we hear rumors of uh, Netflix is interested in more Agent Carter, I read this morning, would they do it without Haley Atwell? Would they recast? Would they this? Would they that? All of that could have been avoided if everybody who watched Agent Carter in the first season watched the second season. Uh, Or at the very least, that would have been a a stronger argument for it to be kept as opposed to a decline in ratings. Um, Yes, Netflix is a different beast. And if we need to have the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., let's get saved by Netflix discussion a year from now. We can have that a year from now. But we have this fourth season. We have what can only be assumed to be a full fourth season, barring some sort of catastrophic ratings failure um and i think the move is a good one because not a lot of people do watch the show live and if most of those are going to stick around for 10 o'clock and if the rest of them are going to move to to live plus three and live plus seven by way of dvr and on demand and online and all of that then it's a healthy situation and we'll deal with We'll deal with the dynamics of the TV world and what is probably a better than 50% chance of ABC canceling it after the fourth season. Let's worry about that in April and May of next year. Let's let's worry about having fun for this next upcoming fourth season right now. We do not blame viewers. The viewer, Matt, is always right with what they choose to do. Often it is the networks in terms of scheduling in terms of consistency of new episodes, you know, the, the model has shifted away from running reruns. It's almost never done today when in the past, you know, we, we think back even as recently as, you know, the early part of this decade, there were people that really needed to wonder, am I tuning in for a new episode tonight or am I getting a rerun? That's not the case anymore. Okay. But when the show is not watched by a number of people that is sustainable to gain a renewal, you need to look a little bit in the mirror. Um, so again, you're a fan of this, watch it live, DVR it, do both, <laughs> get on it, and uh, it won't become a problem. ABC president Channing Dungey opted not to have a a gap show in the form of Asian Carter or Most Wanted. Uh, what's interesting is, at, at least at the at the media upfronts last week, she she seemed to kind of hedge her bet between long chunks of episodes and a long break between and shorter breaks. I cannot imagine that we're going to return to the days of. Four on, two off, one new, two old, et cetera, et cetera. But that could be in the offing uh, too. Uh, I guess. I guess time will tell for all that stuff next season, Pete. But let's let's circle back around. Let's talk about some of the highlights for season three. Season three dramatically different than the two that preceded it. Obviously, um, you're talking about a far bigger cast. We made the move right from the get-go in humans, secret warriors in your face. Granted, they didn't uh, team up and, and go on a, on a big mission till this last block of uh, episodes. I want to say, what were we? 317 was the, was the team there. 
boom, it was a 317. Yeah, it absolutely was. Entitled the team, no less. <laughs> wow. I thought, uh, I thought you were just being kind of kind of uh, a figurative in your naming of it. But yes, episode no, 317. I, am, uh, I, I have, as I explained to Matt off air before we started recording here, I have all of the notes for every episode of Marvel TV that we have ever podcast, all of them, that is, in front of me. And it is a ream of paper, uh, literally the thickness of a ream of paper. So just to go back through that real quick and check that out. Um, <clears throat> but really dug the, the build towards that. And that was an earned thing as opposed to, all right, episode four, we now have 11 teen inhumans who are going into Latveria or whatever. Um, I also really appreciated the, the buildup in the first block with the Mavith storyline and everything that occurred there, I think culminating early in the um, the episode 4,722 hours where uh, we got to see Gemma's time on the planet. It's funny, Pete, as I look over this list, I remember these, these episodes so well. Uh, and I'm kind of saying, well, wait, there was so much between those early episodes and, oh, what did happen to Simmons and 4,722 hours and, and all of that, that I feel like with all the great storytelling that happened in between them, it should feel a bit muddy in my memory. But instead, these episodes really do stand out for themselves. It's, 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 uh, it's quite remarkable. I think it's the hallmark of the show that they're putting out. And I think that <clears throat> given the the fourth season it's something to embrace in terms of advancing the story yeah and i mean this this block of fall episodes and spring episodes we've been so lucky to have those for the last two seasons um i mean you look back at the air dates for season one and uh you know we had the first nine basically straight through then that's when we started you know, one in December, two in January, one in February, two in March. I hope we don't return to that. I remember the experience of podcasting. It was like, oh, man, Pete, I guess we get to do like another another Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this month. That's fun, right? Um, and you could see what it did to the ratings. You could see how people just just went away and didn't come back. So hopefully they're a little bit more heads up with, with, with how they handle the next season, <laughs> not to, not to continue to look to the past and look to the future and, and to take things off of looking at, uh, at season three, but it really just worked this first half ending with, ending with Mavith and coming back, uh, for episode uh, 311, the appropriately named bouncing back in March as we, as we bounced back into this show. People don't want to tune in for leftovers, Matt. They'll go online for that. That's what your DVR is for. That's what on demand is for. That's what Hulu or, or Netflix, if it's not a Netflix original, are for. The idea that we could put the genie back in the bottle, although the metaphor doesn't work as well with new episode, two reruns, two new episodes, a rerun, I really think given a fourth season show is not even up for discussion at this point. One of the things that was discussed by the world of Hollywood with all the new series getting picked up and so on and so forth was a term I was not familiar with, which is stacking, which is a fancy way to say something like, 
Well, let me back up and say, as I was reading these articles about it, it was like this new concept. No one was talking about this five years ago in Hollywood. As I'm reading it, I'm going, wait a minute. As a consumer of TV, this is something I've wanted for a long time, which is uh, stacking is this. The network retains the right to keep episodes from that season on demand so that people can easily and for free get caught up. And I'm like, duh, like that's, I feel like since there's been on demand, you get together at Thanksgiving and you hear, oh, there's this great show, such and such. All right, let me check it out. Oh, there's only the last five on there. I guess yeah. I won't watch Almost Human or, or maybe I'll catch it when it's uh, on rerun. Nope, it got killed because it's brilliant. So however they're going to do things in the future, they have to make these, these old, the episodes from a current season, they need to keep accessible to people. That or I think there's the coming phenomenon of a half season hitting Netflix or whatever other subscription service that you might put it on, Matt, we're, what, seven, eight months away from CBS making the biggest splash of the big four, if you will, with – um a, a pay exclusive through their digital arm with Star Trek. That's going to be an enormous lit litmus test for these networks. It is. And I think it, it's funny. We as viewers, everybody listening to this, it is forever ago that, that widescreen became a thing, you know, mid two thousands. It was forever ago that on demand and, Oh, it's for free and get caught up and, and Hulu and, all of this seems forever and a day ago. But meanwhile, at Ground Zero, Hollywood, USA, they're still figuring out, well, what is it that people want? Well, you, you know what? You didn't watch Purpose in the Machine back on October 6th. So, sorry. Happy New Year. It's your week off in first week in January. I guess you don't get to see Purpose in the Machine because you're not, you know, and if you do, you have to go on iTunes and pay a premium or you have to, this or, why are there these walls? Um you would hope that with a show like S.H.I.E.L.D., where it's, it's the small but loyal audience, that they're going to lower those walls just to make to make the audience more unified. But uh, I guess time will tell. Marvel on ABC has a lot going for it in that it's the parent company. Uh, it's Disney. It's all the connections there. They want it to succeed. But unless it does succeed... And and even there with the hometown discount and the the wink wink, okay, you're part of us. We we want to keep you around. If they're not supporting it, you know it, it's going to become just the Netflix thing. I think we need to do no more than point to yesterday's Matt uh, announcement that uh, Netflix will be the exclusive carrier of Disney content, which. We mentioned the CBS model, and they're going to show the pilot episode of Star Trek in January on TV. And then, hey, guys, want to see more of that? You got to pay $6.99 a month or whatever it's going to be uh, online and get one a week. Um, what will uh, Disney uh, eventually go to with Obviously, a show that has a built-in audience, a fan base in in Marvel Cinematic Universe fans that uh, are legion and many. 
uh, not all of whom watched the show, but that it's going to Netflix. That's another shot fired in this war. It is. And you mentioned that that hometown uh, discount that that shows get the, the model increasingly is networks like shows made by their their corporate studio arms. Um, here's the flip side, though. Somebody at ABC, perhaps uh, perhaps the head of ABC can look at these ratings and go, hold on. Season three, episode one started with four point nine million viewers. The season finale was 3.03 million viewers, so almost 2 million viewers less. And the lowest that you got to was 2.85 million viewers uh, with the aforementioned team, uh, the team rather. Like, people need to watch the show. That's the bottom line. It can't be repeated enough because uh, people need to watch this show live. At the same time, though, we need to point out that their ratings were very steady. 1.9, 1.9, 1.9. They had a nice little picket fence going there uh, late in the season. And I think they're at the point where a precipitous drop is not going to happen so long as they're smart about getting the word out, hey, it's on at 10 o'clock now. Um, clearly, there is a different wind blowing at ABC. The mistakes like the Muppets have been cleared away. Um, I think that this uh, new director uh, gets tone. And I think that we're going to look back at 10 o'clock at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. being uh, a, a tipping point in terms of the content that they can bring us, how successful that's going to be. It's always going to rely on you, the viewer. And that's the empowering thing about this. There's never been more TV going on. There's never been more competition to be one of those shows to be on. There's never been more competing for your attention. This is all happening simultaneously. Pete, let's talk about some of the, uh, some of the other highlights from the season. One that really jumped out at me in terms of the show, the show augmenting its tone a little bit was uh, episode three fourteen, Watchdogs, in which the uh, wait for it, the Watchdogs uh, are <laughs> are revealed and all of that. Um, I, I kind of like that the show, albeit briefly, went a little political, kind of went vaguely. Hey, does this sound a little familiar from from your world? Because we're going to be talking about militant terrorist organization, anti government. Um, all of that, uh, I, I like that they kind of went there and tapped into some of that, some of that anger that's discussed in political quarters and voter, voter areas and all of that. And kind of, kind of tried to make a rough analog without turning into a one for one metaphor for our real world. I wouldn't say rough so much as timely and Matt, I mean, can we not backdoor the metaphor and if we were in the writing room i'm sure the discussion might be amongst our writers our producers that in humans th this could be a metaphor for the 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 trans discussion that's that's going on in our population right now uh it it's cheeky to think it but you know for all the debate of who's in what bathroom um isn't that so similar to what's going on on our show with 
which which in humans were ready to register what what's going to go on there what's the political climate what's the the hot button issue and to to bring a conservative group to have echoes of the immigrant discussion going on right now the politicization of it it it's smart timely writing and one i suppose with a, a bit of an implicit message in that the in that the uh independent and self-determined watchdogs end up becoming what mindless kind of <laughs> faceless voiceless drones used for uh, used and then discarded for higher purpose um so perhaps stepping back and looking at the season as a whole a bit more you see the the um charismatic uh the, the charismatic and uh, uh beloved by women uh former ward now ward's body with hive uh slowly uh slowly convincing angry people to to get in his corner maybe there are some shades of something vaguely familiar there i don't and, know and and matt who who was fighting on the other side uh, against shield at one point a pantsuit wearing uh career bureaucrat in rosalind price well, who 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 we could either highlight, uh, shall we say, didn't make it as as far as uh, she might have liked, or uh, or another way to look at it is is beloved and and remembered for her great contributions. Well, um, I mean, you you talk all the time in in art like this, killing your darlings. It's constantly a discussion. Um, you know, let let's shift the discussion a little bit and start to talk. Uh, perhaps some disappointments or, or some lowlights for all the buildup of the fallen agent. Matt, the fallen agent was a guy who was an agent officially for minutes. <laughs> officially, perhaps. You know what, Pete? I like to think that being an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is more than is more than a, a ceremony or the handing out of a badge, although I do have a badge personalized that I got at New York Comic Con and it's awesome. Um, I think that I think that Lincoln Campbell was an agent from day one. He was just offered the job moments before being killed. <laughs> I I understand that, and I absolutely agree with that. I just think you're you're gonna sell this whole fallen agent idea and okay. The, the qualifications are are a little bit light. Uh, granted, it's a tough decision to write yourself into the corner of we're going to kill off one of our mainstay characters. And then the discussion of, all right, is this OG cast versus somebody who's joined the show? Uh, we just had two go off to film a pilot. Now with, uh, you know, no series order, greenlit of Marvel's Most Wanted, we've got that in there. All things considered, Matt, getting the renewal was huge for this show. What has hurt the overall brand, at least right now on ABC, is that you lost one potential show. You lost their first ever show. Now you're down to one. And they're fighting to continue here because I'm here to tell you there's not going to be another one on ABC after this. I am convinced that the Marvel's Most Wanted pilot must have been written in a way where, where 
worst case scenario, they don't get picked up. And how do you fold it back into S.H.I.E.L.D.? I think that what they're going to do is to do a The Menagerie from Star Trek, that they're going to take that hour pilot and they're going to fold it into, you know, Most Wanted, Parts 1 and 2. And mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going the episode's going to open with like, or no, no, last week's episode will... The, the tag will be some sort of explosion or, oh, no, the base is under fire. What is it? Everybody, get your weapons and go to the door. Boom, the door blows open. And there comes Lance Hunter in, covered in blood, dragging a broken leg, going, you're never going to bloody believe this, mate, or whatever. <laughs> and then the then you're going to get a two-parter that's told part in flashback, part with this, part with that. Uh, come on, Lance, speak into the, speak into the hollow vivaphone. And tell us what happened. So there I was, me and Bobby, and all of that. And it's, I, I think it's gonna, it's gonna end up being seamless, and we're gonna know, wink, wink. This is a pilot that failed for whatever reason. But they're coming back. They're coming back strong, and I think they're just, they're gonna hold that until, until a good time to share it. Well, Matt, you allude to the events that episode 313 parting shot that ended with a quite emotional and and well done. Um, you know, spies goodbye. And then what did we do? We came back from that with watchdogs. Hey, hey, kittens, look at this laser on the wall here. We're we're gonna distract you from the fact that that uh, Bobby and Hunter are are filming their their pilot at this point. And we really began the dash with the final eight episodes. Um, I think you're a hundred percent correct. We're going to see what was filmed used in some way, shape or form. They will absolutely be back with the show. We're waiting on casting news, which we will get very shortly. Uh, the writer's room is queued to get cranked up in a couple weeks. They'll get through their first couple setups and then we'll start hearing stuff. But, um, I absolutely think that that's in the offing. Pete, we've been pretty effuse in our praise for season three. Uh, let me bring in an article uh, now written by a friend of the podcast, Amanda Joyce. This is an article on themovienetwork.com written by Amanda entitled Everything Wrong with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3. Uh, definitely a thought-provoking read. Pete, the first one on the list here, uh, she she takes the show to task for some dropped plot lines. One example being uh, Gemma having returned with PTSD, and that was uh, that was kind of, in her mind, dropped. It was solved within two or three episodes. Your thought there? I definitely agree that it was dropped, given so much was going on. It, it, it was a real compelling storyline when she came back we felt for her she's clearly the most sympathetic character on the show and to to have it kind of dwindle out and then all right she's better why because she's in love yeah we got what we wanted and we got Fitzsimmons together as a romantic couple and and everything that's uh come to be hoped for with that i think there's still a lot that uh we've yet to see obviously in terms of their relationship and given the six month jump ahead and whether or not we will cover directly or indirectly the ground that uh was in between remains to be seen but yeah that disappeared kind of quickly and with 
absolutely no explanation. Pete, next on her list, too many guest star deaths. And when I first read that, I was like, all right, come on. They're clearly, at least thus far, let's assume that 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 Brett Dalton is in the show in some capacity uh, next season. Thus far, they have yet to officially kill off any of the core six. I was like, all right, come on. This is too many guest star, guest star deaths. Um, then, Pete, how's this for a little list compiled by Amanda? <sighs> Lucio, Guerra, Gideon Malik, Stephanie Malik, Alicia, Will Daniels, Dwight Fry, Andrew Slash, Lass, Ro- Lash, Rosalind Price, Banks, Charles Hinton, and a slew of background agents. That's roughly one guest star every three episodes by my math. She may have a point there. R.I.P. Background Shield agents. R.I.P. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a point. I look at a character like uh, Andrew Garner. And that um, Blair Underwood and to not get a reprisal out of makeup in a flashback. I get it. There was so much going on in those last three episodes. So much ground to cover. But Daisy, uh, you know, gestalt over her uh, grief over her actions and everything like that. It just felt incomplete to not bring him back. But yeah, you know, you you build in constant Zimmer at the beginning of the season and you get a really shocking twist there that affected Coulson. And obviously that leads to him taking Grant Ward's life. And then we lose an original series member from the start, albeit who was on borrowed time in, in Brett Dalton at the end of uh, season three, it it's we come back to a little bit of loss, Matt. It was the sacrifice that the island demanded. I, I, I can't help but look at this list and go, "Wow, that is a whole lot of people." And I'm I'm only going to watch season four with eyes open that they're not going to suddenly kill off part of the core. Um, given that they have a habit of killing off all these people. So I'm not disagreeing with Amanda with, with what I'm about to say, but I want to just point out that even though some of these recurring guest characters um, are one note, I mean, Lucio, largely one note, Guerra, I think we wish we got more out of him. They somehow seem well-rounded despite their, despite their, their one note. You know, I mean, Lucio just, he's tall and imposing and has the eye thing. And then he died. Okay. I feel like he was in eight episodes. He was probably in like two or three episodes and, you know, had, I think, no lines or hardly any lines. So the show at least does a nice job of making these guest stars that are going to be killed off feel a little bit more, um, feel like more than guests, Pete. Like they're part of the family. Well, I mean, you look at the secret warriors that we've had, and other than Lincoln, they are intact. Um, would have been nice to see Joey in the finale or get a name check or, or something. You, you begin the season with him and you don't return to it. I think it's incongruous in terms of storytelling. However, Yo-Yo really kind of came to fill that emotional note, I think, a little bit uh, broader than Joey's character. Um, but points again for 
Uh, here you bring in a character in, in Joey. Uh, he is homosexual. He's representing this group that has a larger meaning in our analog world. And this is a win for everybody. Next on the list here is, quote, not all heroes are super, close quote. This idea of the, the season one tagline now between the truly powered people and kind of the, um, the, the as Amanda says, kind of the, the, the Hawkeye, Black Widow types that are on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. These are certainly some special people, some enhanced people. Um, do you think that's a negative, Pete, that we have... Oh, Fitz is a normal guy who's just really smart, and Yo-Yo can disarm 15 people in a single heartbeat. Gee, who do we take into the field? <laughs> I, I I don't think I agree with this one as much. They were very upfront of the fact that they were going to move to Inhumans. This still is our core team, but think like specialists. So obviously Fitz is going to be back in the lab and occasionally he gets the mission here and there. You know, he and Gemma go undercover a couple episodes left. That's good integration. That's, I think, the flavor that we're looking for in this weekly offering. And then there are the superpowered people. We've got to serve both. They realize that having a show and a comic universe that has no powered people is difficult to sell. By the way, she mentions a, a sub burn here, which I would like to bring up to the surface, which is uh, nearly every other character's storyline had to take a backseat to Daisy's again, just as they did in season two, as she found her family, Pete, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that back in season one, I was calling for, for the death of this sky girl who doesn't quite fit in <laughs> with everybody else. And I like the arc that she's on. And now the notion that van hacker is now on her way to like super villain next season is really, really interesting. That said, she's not the most interesting person on the show. And I get that she's the youngest. I get that given that she's, you know, kind of just starting out in the world, regardless of her age, was kind of starting out in this new world, is appealing to the writers. And I get that as as a female and as someone who is Asian, there there's added interest to give her a voice as opposed to just, oh man, Coulson deals with getting his pool retiled. That said, I don't need to have the Daisy show starring Daisy and a bunch of other people and occasionally May shows up to fly the plane. Let's remember how this show was conceived. She was the one on the outside looking in. She was the every woman. She was us, Matt. She was the one who was brought into S.H.I.E.L.D., who started to figure it out. Oh, hey, I'm an orphan and I didn't know my parents. Oh, I have this blood in me now. Oh, now I have powers. It's it's the steady, the, the constant layering on of character. And now with this six-month gap, which, you know, a, a time jump, something I wouldn't say a lot of shows have done, but something I would say successful shows have tended to do, particularly in a genre-fied era where they're going to explore her from another aspect. When she was with the 
rising tide and and boy how foreign does that seem <laughs> to, what, to whatever say. happened to that other rising tide <laughs> hacker pete did he whatever happened to that actor it was said actually twice this season believe it or not <laughs> i remember i remember once yeah yeah and and to to go back to it and now you've got this character with superpowers with these skills clearly on some kind of ulterior mission again opens up in this time slot what what should could she get into matt could she be like you know she's got the long straight hair and the goth mac uh makeup here could she be sexy bad sky oh oh boy oh boy things pete things just Things just turned PG thirteen really fast. Oh my! Well, I mean, come on, it's ten ten o'clock now, man. Oh, that's true. There, there might be a ripped stocking or two. You never, oh. you never know. Oh my! Might show an <laughs> ankle. Dare say. Uh, Pete, next on the list here, some predictable storytelling. Simmons came back from the planet, and then of course you'd have to go back to the planet. Um, uh, things of that sort. Andrew, Andrew is lash. And uh, Amanda says was predictable. Your thoughts there versus the, the twists and turns of the season. I did find the continual reminder via uh, Lincoln that every inhuman has a purpose linked very strongly to lash. And I did feel that that was predictable. I'll say this when they dropped the lash hive fight was not predictable. So points off points for, it's a wash. Last on Amanda's great list here, uh, as something wrong with the season, she mentions the episode 4,722 hours. She calls it, as a standalone episode, a huge triumph. But Pete, some of her concerns come from how other things are connected to it, that we kind of, uh, we, you know, we don't get a ton of will. We don't get you know, we, we don't actually get Gemma long, uh, gone for a super long time. We uh, we don't get much on this civilization that has been there. We don't get a whole lot about why Hive came, uh, how Hive came to be imprisoned there, so on and so forth. It's kind of there's the suggestion in the episode of a whole bunch, but we never quite complete it. Your thoughts? I think it's imperfect from the standpoint that. It's so dependent on the follow-up to end their half season when they go back, when the Hydra God gets thrown into the mix here. Um, that being said, the building in and out of it, I, I found effective. It's a huge risk as an episode. It's a huge weight to put on uh, Elizabeth Hensridge, which I thought she handled, you know, uh, tremendously um it's clearly their most interesting visual episode of the season and uh is it perfect no is this show perfect it's not otherwise i i think we'd be be talking bigger ratings i think we'd be talking a, a slam dunk going into next season for renewal but all of these things can change and th that writer's room matt they they need a breath from time to time and you know we've we've yo-yoed pun intended here between <laughs> full connection to the marvel cinematic universe to tacit connection to the point where chloe bennett made a controversial statement last week she did basically saying that the tv end is completely ignored and completely an, an afterthought to the powers that be on the movie and um 
eh? I don't quite. Uh, my response on Twitter was, you shouldn't say this when your boss is Jeff Loeb and Jeff Loeb is on a completely different organizational chart than Marvel Films. Um, especially like heading into what the 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 dynamics, the financial dynamics of network television suggest that next season really is it for Shield on ABC. Maybe there's a Netflix save. Again, let's let's discuss that in eleven and a half months. Um, do you really need to tick off the people all the way up the food chain by saying controversial things about how your show and its intellectual property are treated relative to other intellectual properties even farther up the corporate ladder? All due respect to Chloe Bennett, and I truly mean that, but she's not Chris Hemsworth just yet. Um, the idea that the tail is going to wag the dog, I get the idea of wanting a greater connection and wanting to show up. And as they are breaking and starting to script the uh, Avengers two-part Infinity War films, the discussion is now which of our Marvel TV characters could we bring over? Yeah, I get it. The frustration. I understand. Okay, we've had Sif on and, you know, we've had uh, director fury and everything there. But I would argue the show has been better without the need to make those connections and they can go in their own direction. Yes. You acknowledge the events of the civil war and there's going to be more things coming. Cause I don't know if you're familiar, these, these Marvel movies, they, they just keep coming in major events, uh, major tentpole releases, Gee, next year we're going to have three of them for crying out loud. So you're going to continue to have opportunities. That being said, the lifespan of this show is going to be what it is. And there's an adage, Matt, in, in TV, particularly right now, that in season one, your actors, well, they are your employees as showrunners. In uh, in season two, now they get to have some more input. In in season three, all right, now we're almost on a level footing. Season four, you work for them. And I, I think that Chloe is feeling her oats a little bit. The, the show is not moving forward given where they've written themselves into without her. Okay, she had filmed the finale. She's at this uh, Comic-Con. She makes the statement. I can tell you there was a discussion afterward. You've seen no follow-up. <laughs> that speaks enormous volumes. I, I rather like where S.H.I.E.L.D. is connected to other things now. To go back to the Watch Dogs episode for a moment, to think that they reference Nitramine, which was in Agent Carter. They reference a gang war in Hell's Kitchen. Um, things like the uh, the Dogs of Hell from uh, from Daredevil. That 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 uh, we saw the New yep. York branch. There's that, that no, was there's no precedent, Matt. There's no precedent for a. Well, there, there's there's one precedent, but that now that, that Pete, that's a podcast for a different day. <laughs> for for a thirteen film, uh, over one hundred, I think it's one hundred twenty three episode, uh, TV empire all being connected. Okay, so twenty six, one twenty three. We are in the one hundred fifty to sixty hour range of a since two thousand eight connected story there is 
no precedent for what they're doing now. And I think they're still figuring out, is it as connected as it's, as it's been? It's not. Can it come back to being more connected? Yes. I'll stick with the hashtag, Matt. It's all connected. I will too, in part because Marvel head of television, Jeff Loeb has, has said it at multiple conventions and done the two finger by two finger hashtag with his fingers. And when Jeff Loeb says things, you, you listen, I don't want to end up written out of my own podcast. I don't know if he has that power, but I think he could. Um, let's just hope that they continue to build on that. Anyhow, Pete, let's now move on. Check the mailbag here. And this is going to sound like it's a civil war email, but it, it, it ties back to agents of shield. And this comes from my pal and yours, Mike Sorensen, who says the following. In Civil War, when Bucky ran the car off the road and took the IV bags of glowy blue stuff, my first reaction was, oh crap, it's Cree blood. But when they revealed it was Howard Stark, that turned it around a bit. Stark was part of the original Super Soldier Project, and the Erskine formula was also glowy blue like that. After Erskine was killed, as established on Agent Carter, Stark and the SSR, later S.H.I.E.L.D., were working to recreate his formula. Seeing what it was used for in Civil War, I think it's a fair bet that this was a new incarnation of Erskine's super soldier serum. But, just what if? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has established that Hydra and the Kree are tink uh, tinkering goes back to the dawn of man. What if the reason Erkin's successful, Erskine's successful formula looks a lot like Kree blood is because it either is or it's based on it? Some member of pre-Hydra hive-worshipping secret society was involved with the Super Soldier project and suggested that Erskine take a look at this funky blue stuff they had kicking around. Erskine used it as a base and reformulated it to get a specific result. Uh, we know she, she, we know Shield continued to use it later. That's part of what Tahiti was based around. So why not speculate they had it earlier? Erskine took the blood, tweaked it to make his serum, and they used it to create the new Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers, Captain America, isn't early Inhuman. Actually, he says Inhuman. Period. I'm, I'm in shock. Adding the question. Um, now this will never come to pass. It takes an awful lot of retconning to get there, but the speculation is kind of fun. No. Thoughts, it, Pete. It's definitely fun, and I like it as a theory. I think it's too dependent on too much that would take place off screen to establish that. Plus, I don't think we want to think of Dr. Erskine as having been in league or having been manipulated by some of our Hydra baddies. It, it was enough of a dropkick to reveal that shield was rotten from the inside out to predate shield and then say that our you know forces who were who were fighting to save the world in the big one matt that, that they were rotten from the inside out i i think it makes it too much of a double blow Definitely, definitely food for thought. Pete, next up in the old mailbag, it's Will Quinonez. That's at Hydra underscore lives. And uh, he's, he's, he's taken, taken the mood a little bit more, a little bit more thoughtful here, a little bit more serious. Uh, he says, it is slightly bothersome that black actors slash, actress, slash actresses are not only underrepresented on this show, but also die frequently. BJ Britt and Ruth Nega last season, and now Blair Underwood this season with a tease, although I agree the show would not uh, be that obvious about Mac, of Henry Simmons. Only J. August Richards has made it out alive, but we haven't seen him in forever. 
Side note, Pete, I'll pause Will's words. I believe J. August Richards is now on a new show for the fall. I think that's what it is. So he he might be gone or only show up in one more guest thing or whatever. But but I digress. Back to Will. We've even exchanged tweets about the lesser role of May this season, but that that may be more of an age-related thing than the fact she is age, uh, Asian. Still not cool, but one item at a time. I don't think it's purposeful, but it does raise eyebrows. Heck, even the one Latino guy we had, Edward James Olmos, was killed off, but that falls in the category of distinguished actor over 50 theory you guys have. And I love the inclusion of two new Latinos this season in Natalia Cordova and Juan Pablo Raba. Uh, let's not forget Asian Magneto, Mark DeCasos. But even their screen time has been limited. And if they kill one of the new Latinos, that will be a shame. They have uh, teased this fallen agent. By the way, this email was sent before the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, they've teased this fallen agent who will die question the promo so much. If it's one of the new additions this year, it seems like an awful lot of fanfare for a minor to this point character. The tease has been so big on this. It has to be one of the main characters. Unfortunately, I think it'll be May now that she's officially lost Andrew. Uh, again, another minority who happens to be over 50. Uh, also, for clarity, I am Latino, not black, so this isn't rambling for the sake of rambling and pulling the race card. Well, Pete, I'll, I'll pause Will's words there to say I don't think it's it's not rambling at all, nor is it no. pulling the race card at all. This is this is a show with such a diverse cast that I think it welcomes extra scrutiny for how that diversity is used. Uh, particularly since you're starting with the premise of that guy people liked who died, we're going to bring back, and he happens to be white. So how, what do we do there? Do we surround him by a whole bunch of white people? Do we diversify? What's next? So some really great thoughts there from Will. Your response, Pete. For my money, it's The Walking Dead and then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in terms of the diversity on TV in a genrefied story. That being said, boy, those two shows don't have anything in common. Uh, For a while, if you were African-American and you were on The Walking Dead, you were toast. And they have become culturally and and sensitively aware of that in making decisions. I rest my hat on Lincoln being the right choice in the way that we had focused on Daisy, their connection together. He was on the team, yet he was new to the team. He was the one to go. And let's not forget they killed Brett Dalton off too. Um, it's an well, argument. Well, they killed off Ward and almost certainly killed off Hive. Right. But it's it's. I'm not convinced that we're done with Brett Dalton at all. He's gonna (laughs) he's gonna return as the hologram or as the robot guy is gonna be like. I have some of Ward's memories. The the beauty part of where we left our story is that we now have this new way to bring old friends back. So who's it gonna be? Is it gonna be Trip? Is it gonna be uh, Agent Hartley, uh, Lucy Lawless? Um, there's a lot of possibilities and that's great. Um, given the tragedy that he's had IRL, Matt, uh, Pat Oswalt, who otherwise, uh, and I, I think they had just finished filming principally on the finale when his wife, you know, unexpectedly died. Um, he wasn't written into it, so it's not like they had to pull him out, but he's somebody who's, who's been at the center of this 
Is he a life model decoy? Is he a, a, an android? What, what's going on with him? Um, he's somebody that I would expect at some point will get back and somebody who could be a window into this. You know, he's the he's the proto to whatever uh, Dr. Radcliffe has done now. Um, the diversity discussions are warranted. They are timely. But I think the show gets a lot of credit in that it is so diversified. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Pat Oswald. I, I can't help but mention that it was only yesterday he he uh, tweeted a tribute picture yeah. of her, said funerals are final, but there's no closure. Memorials are hopeful, but they don't bring back the dead. I, I mean, you got, all this TV fun is it pales in comparison to to what that what that yeah, poor guy and his a, daughter. This is a comedian too, and a and a wonderful and and smart guy. And our hearts go out to him. Is not something we're going to go through on a regular episode of the podcast. Oh, and hey, Matt, this this character actor's uh, wife, you know, up up and uh, died. But to to look at it now, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong. We saw him once this season. I believe so. Yeah. 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 And, you know, he's somebody who's who's popped up over the course of, you know, each of the seasons. I think back to when they went on the run, when they were agents of nothing post uh, Hydra reveal in Captain America Civil War. And you look at all the water under the bridge since then. But, you know, this this is a show built very much around female characters, despite the fact that we, we took Coulson from the, the film universe. Okay. And may and sky and Simmons. And, you know, then we have our quirky male characters in, um, in Fitz and Hunter. And, uh, how can you not love what Henry Simmons has done with Mac? Um, I, I think, the inhuman thing continues to offer us opportunity to bring in uh, actors who look like and represent the real world, Matt. And in 2016, has that ever meant or needed to be done more? I appreciate Will so much for sharing those thoughts and sharing his. Absolutely. His, his, yeah, yeah. Um, I would add to the mix what do the dynamics of television, what have the dynamics of television done? And then what do they do moving forward? By that, I mean, you know, Marissa Tancherowen, a, a female minority, obviously there's a, there's a, a voice in the writer's room that is not that of the, you know, the early forties, uh, white male. As I, I read another article, how, how so many writers rooms, it seems that perpetually, if you're in your forties, you know, and you're in Hollywood, that's who's in writer's rooms. They, they somehow disappear and go elsewhere as they age or as they're younger. But, but I digress. So certainly that, that voice is there. Has the discussion been had, you know, Hey, we don't want to get canceled before our time here. Does that mean, uh, get, you know, should we add one more young, hot smoldering, uh, uh, inhuman to the mix and, you know, give Ming-Na Wen some less lines or, Oh, we have to do lip service to Clark Gregg. Who's, Who's another actor, 50 or older, who can kind of give him screen time so then we can let the beautiful people go play on the beach and go play spy? <laughs> I'm certainly not, I'm not uh, accusing Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron of doing that. But at what point do you kind of sit and go, you know, what's best for the show is 
we need to have uh oh i don't know some something kind of exotic like 510 busty blonde woman can we that's that's really different right uh again nothing against nothing against the character of mockingbird who happens to be those things nothing against uh against the actress who is who is certainly lovely i'm just wondering has that been a discussion and if they get tipped tipped off you know hey you know what season four is probably it do you say okay well we're not we're <laughs> then we're not we're not going to kowtow to the needs of somebody who's hot 25 and looks great in the bathing suit you know do do you go for someone else i don't know i don't know that we can be having this discussion is proof that this is successful Pete, last email here from uh, Bob Keeley, who, who I want to mention before I read this, uh, is uh, is a professor at Calvin Theological Seminary, so he, he knows of what he speaks. Uh, first of all, he opens with, with some kind words. He says, thanks for another fine season of AOS Podcasts. I really appreciate being able to spend part of my commute with you two each week. Uh-huh. Uh, Pete, Pete, he addresses the idea of where was this episode split? Um, where were these two episodes split in, in, um, well, he's about to mention where he watches them, but here we go. He says, I'm only halfway through the latest podcast because my commute is 45 minutes long, but I wanted to mention two things. I watched the finale on watch ABC on my Apple TV and the split between the two episodes was when uh, Daisy was on her knees, just an FYI. So I think yes. Pete, that's roughly where we, where we had that's put it. That's where I had it cut. That's where I, and you can go back and listen to our finale. I had about 9.59 on the clock. It's an imperfect thing when they're doing it that way, but that's where they would seem to have cut it. Uh, next, Pete, Dr. Keeley, uh, who uh, I stress again, teaches at, at a theological seminary, says, second, the pickiest of nits to pick. But this is the second episode in which you said this, and I want to mention it, colon, the necklace that got passed around that previously belonged to Yo-Yo is a cross, not a crucifix. A crucifix has Jesus on it and it a cross is empty. Completely, completely correct. And it's my mistake. Um, at one point, I thought that there was uh, it was a crucifix that Jesus was on there. It is a cross necklace. And as a Catholic who bears the the scars of 16 years of Catholic school, uh, kindergarten through college, I will uh, with guilt take that one. Bob uh, goes on to explain um, uh, most Protestants display a cross and Catholics a crucifix. It makes sense that Elena, being from Latin America, would have a crucifix since Latin America is mostly Catholic. Um, he goes on to say he he did not did not spot Jesus upon the cross. Um, uh, therefore, it was a cross necklace. Um, uh, he, he said, "I just thought, being a religion geek, that I'd mention that." Bob, we welcome, we welcome yes. such, I, I wouldn't call that the pickiest of nits. I would say no. somebody who makes a living wage, if not more so, somebody who who we would hope has a comfortable lifestyle in Los Angeles was in charge of picking out her particulars. Uh, p- perhaps the actress had a hand in it, but somebody said, this is what Yo-Yo wears, and darn it, that person has to ask themselves who is elena what's she about where is she from what are her beliefs what are fine she's wearing a religious thing what does that mean we're all of that it's somebody who makes more in the world of hollywood than you or i pete or than bob somebody who makes an actual wage there 
doing mm-hmm. costuming had to think through all those things. It's not the pickiest of nits. It is fine craftsmanship. So thank you there, Bob, for your uh, for your kind words there and your uh, your your religious look. And I want I just want to say that as somebody who is who is a little less religious than Pete, I agree with Pete. It is all Pete's fault. He does bear the blame. So thank you, Pete. Listen, while you were reading the rest of that, I was uh, flagellating myself. Um, yeah, I I can't thank him enough for uh, reaching out there. We always want to hear this stuff. And it only underscores why we do this podcast. We had a lot of opportunities in terms of what direction we were going to go. Um, and that we got into this because of discussions that can happen like this, that there are smart, successful, gainfully employed, passionate people who watch a show set in a comic book universe because it means more than what it is. Well, Pete, before we truly wrap up season three, just want to take a, a, a look ahead to uh, to this podcast feed. If you're listening to us on the Agents of Shield podcast feed, I guess I guess it's a it, it's mini hiatus time. I'm sure that we'll uh, we'll check in in the middle of the summer just to uh, to say hey to to give the latest goings on for Agents of Shield and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you are listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast, as as the, the the most rabid fans do, Pete, do we want to tip our hand, or should we just say tune in this time next week as we as we we step off to the next adventure for the summer and maybe beyond? Stay tuned. Well, Pete, just want to give one more thanks to everybody who started to uh, to support us on Patreon this season. It's something that we uh, we gave a little emphasis extra emphasis to uh this season of agents of shield uh got plenty of goodies planned for the summer dear patrons so uh certainly keep an eye on patreon.com slash fantastic geek and uh and uh even if you're not a patron hopefully you could take a look and even if you don't stay tuned to that pop culture podcast feed so grateful for everybody who's gone there and those of you who have donated super thankful for your contributions so you keep us going. Thanks again. Pete, the greatest reward, as I say each week, and seemingly nobody seems to echo in agreement, but it's probably just because they're silently nodding, is that the greatest reward is talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-7745. Followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast even during this hiatus time in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P and the H. And you can find us on the dot com, the Gmail, the Instagram, the Twitter, and the Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. Like it. Love it. Live it. <laughs> Thank you once again to all our listeners, especially those who have been with us since the beginning. This uh, drawing to a close, the third season of Agents of Shield. It's uh, it's the mothership for the the Fantastic Geek family of podcasts, and uh, and such great fun to talk about Shield. Uh, twenty two plus weeks out of the year. So uh, thank you everybody, and uh, do stay tuned to this feed where uh, there's going to be more stuff before you know it. 
it's amazing. We're 66 episodes into this show, which is by far the deepest we've ever podcast one particular show. We're over 100 episodes into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We got big plans continuing to come at you. We've never had more listeners than right now. So you're an enormous part of this. So thank you. And uh, we look forward to bringing you a lot more real soon. Thanks again, everybody. Take care. Talk to you soon. And bye-bye. Farewell.